0: The growing ideological polarization of the United States has been an enduring focus of both scholars and the media since the presidential election. Yet in a time of global quarantine made necessary by COVID-19, ideological polarization in the U.S. has become total physical separation after President Trump and his base adopted a policy they enthusiastically call taken care of business.
1: We cannot let the cure be worse than the problem itself. We're not going to let the cure be worse than the problem. We are not going to let it turn into a long-lasting financial problem.
0: The policy suggests that protecting the economy is more important than protecting the lives of the vulnerable with Taking Care of Business, the 1973 classic rock song from Canadian band Bachman-Turner Overdrive, becoming the rallying cry for continuing life as usual during a time of pandemic. Perhaps fittingly, it is an American cover band of Bachman-Turner Overdrive you hear playing live in the distance. As Canada, like many other nations, now prohibits any travel to the U.S. by its citizens due to COVID-19 concerns. But concern itself seems an alien concept here at BizFest, a massive week-long music festival for those confident in the American president's plan of business as usual. I talked to BizFest promoter Buzz Swimp about the event and what it means for America. Got a hundred thousand paying paying people through the door, a hundred thousand plus. Really incredible. The Shows the strength, like resilience of the American the people. Like strength and resilience of the American people in a time where we really need to come together. We got Puddle of Mud, Mud Vein, Papa Roach, Breaking Benjamin, Saliva, Shine Down, Stained, Disturbed, Drowning Pool, Stone Sour, Huba Stank, Crossfade, Creed, Fuel. Godsmack, seven dust, 12 stones, 10 years, saving Abel, skillet, seether, hinder. I mean, you know, if Trudeau wasn't such a pussy. The promoter seems to swallow a plastic cup of beer as if he were taking a breath. In fact, drinking seemed easier to him than breathing itself, which made me curious if a constant state of intoxication might make one unaware of underlying COVID 19 symptoms. I attempted to wander the festival grounds, but realized I wouldn't get far wearing my N95 respirator. Any form of prophylactic against viral infection is interpreted here as liberal, un American, or worse. Hey, buddy. Hey, hey buddy. Hey, you got a maxi pad on your face. You a pussy? What's that, hand sanitizer? The squirting pussy, I like that. It's unsurprising that cracks began to show in BizFest's Bacchanalia by midweek. South Carolina band Crossfade had to cut short the performance of a crowd favorite titled Cold, after singer Ed Sloan collapsed on stage, and some say an entire section of the surrounding campground was closed off, dedicated to the recovery of people who, promoters say, merely overindulged on alcohol. As the sun set on the last night of the festival, I ventured out, wrapping my N95 mask in a bandana with skeletons and various sexual positions printed on it, so as not to give my identity away. Fuel, the final act, had just launched into the last song of the night the bittersweet anthemic tune, Shimmer. The crowd sang along, and for a moment one felt the joy, the hope, of people being together. As the acoustic introduction gave way to hard rock, a jubilant, but seemingly disjointed mosh pit opened up in the middle of the crowd. Lit by the pink glow of the sky, I could just make out what made the crowd's movement unsteady. Beneath their feet, there were dozens of lifeless corpses half-sunken in the beer-soaked dirt. Avoided, stepped over, and stepped on by the drunken revelers, not bothering to look down, only to look up. Frontman Brett Scallion sings, all that shimmers in the world is sure to fade, and the crowd unleashes an ecstatic roar. Welcome to New Models Topsoil. We recorded this episode on Monday, March 23rd as COVID-19, after making its way across China and Europe, began to directly impact North America. For this show, we called up friends in Miami, LA, Dallas-Fort Worth, New York City, and the Berlin Link metaverse to get a sense of how daily life has begun to change across the USA. On this episode, we speak to the geographer Stephanie Wakefield, trend forecaster Sean Monahan, stay-at-home dad and artist, and part-time grocery clerk Jean-Luc Villa, writer Natasha Stagg, and deep infrastructure researcher, KDM. Diem. Topsoil is a members-only podcast created by New Models. We've made the first hour of this episode open to all. To hear this full episode and all the Topsoil episodes and radio play intros, and to access the New Models Discord, subscribe to New Models at patreon.com slash newmodels. Let's get into it.
2: So this is episode 32 of Topsoil, and we thought this time, since our listeners are all over the globe, that we would call up some friends who are living in different places, and we would just ask them how their daily lives have changed, how they see social patterns changing. The first person we have on is Stephanie Wakefield. She's based in Miami. Stephanie, do you want to say a few lines to frame where you're coming from and who you are and what your experience
3: is? Sure. I'm in Miami Beach, Florida in the North Beach area. I'm a, I'm a geographer. That's my job. Uh, a teacher normally. Um, I'm working at FI, Florida International University. Yeah. That, yeah. You used to good? live in New
2: York. Okay. You lived in New York for like 10 years or more. Uh, and you were involved in some of the like grassroots organizing around Occupy and around other kinds of direct action stuff in the Audis. But very quickly, that organizing in by the end of the Audis shifted towards climate awareness and um, a switch from resistance to resilience in the city and how civic life is going to have to adapt to the changes that are going to come up. Saying unexpectedly is is actually kind of wrong because we should expect that there are going to be these changes. And I feel like you were one of the first people to organize around that concept. I mean, as early as 2008, 2009, um, and probably before that, before we had even met. Um, So, and you moved to Miami because it's a hotspot of uh, adaptation. Uh, And I don't know, do you want to like frame what your background is? So you're a geographer, but specifically you're working on questions around the Anthropocene.
3: Yeah, totally. So I mean, I'm a geographer professionally, my PhD is in earth and environmental science. And the kind of research that I've done over the past decade or so, and the kind of teaching that I've done has been around the political transformations of life in the Anthropocene. And what I've tried to look at, on on one hand, what are the, uh, the political transformations in terms of how we and peoples and the environments are being governed? in the name of the Anthropocene and the name of these supposed emergencies that, that constitute the Anthropocene. How it, are security techniques being transformed? How it, is urban governance and design being transformed? And then on the other hand, the, the question that I think really matters to any of us is what can we do and, and how can we actually transform how we live and bring up the question of revolution as the question of the Anthropocene. So some of the things that you were talking about in New York that we did together over the years were attempts to try to think what is our own state of exception? How do we not just be hostages to these situations that seem to come punctually as part of the normal functioning of capitalism that are just opportunities for governance to recalibrate itself and bring us back to the same old thing? How can we take the Anthropocene itself as this time that if nothing else asks us to change everything yeah
2: totally I mean and you're also recently you're a new mom and you know it's a very different position to be thinking about the collapse of the world where you now have a vested interest in making sure that there's still a way to survive in the back loop to use a term that you often use and um, I guess like a first question I have for you then is that if you could speak to your son now uh, as if he were say 12 as if he were able to engage in a conversation with you how would you frame this moment how would you frame this moment to a child and specifically your child what would be the way that you would what would be the lens you would try to provide to see what we're going through because I think it's a really confusing moment for a lot of people and what's a simple way of truly uh, grappling with what this particular moment is
3: that's a huge <laughs> question that's a crazy, a question. Question. <laughs> that's a crazy <laughs> question that I have not thought about um yeah I mean so much right now is asking us to look into ourselves in some ways and ask what kind of people we're going to be, the kind of people we want to be and we when we face these situations. And I think we have to help each other be strong and not give in to panic, to act with love, but not in this precious way that's so much the sort of neoliberal response. Uh, I, I, you know, right? But I, I do think that we're seeing a lot of takes yeah, and a lot yeah. of responses to coronavirus, right? And... Uh, one of them is really interesting to me. I think we're seeing, I mean, I'm sure you're seeing it too, right? It's like, we're seeing this hyper performative way of showing that you are someone who cares about the most vulnerable and it's coming from companies <laughs> as oh much my as it God.
4: is from every, every single CEO. Like, Friday, has, like, like right.
3: literally. And it's like, it's like shaming goes along with that. We're yeah. seeing a lot of it too. Like if you're, one of the people with a mask, you have now hurt other people. If you're one of the people who's outside, it's just this, the, the shaming and the... I mean, the, we, we all have people we care for. We act in the interest of the things that we, we care for and the people we care for and the people we love and all that. And that's very different, I think, you know, versus this sort of show of it all. So anyway, I don't, that's what I kind of see as one of these. I, I think it's kind of a trait of neoliberalism to perform that anyway. Right. You know? The just we yeah, I think it's also,
4: it's kind of one of the rare moments where slacktivism is literally the answer and, right. and like slacking the most is uh, so yeah I mean personally I'm really happy that staying home all the time is woke now because I'm just like
0: I'm, th- I'm <laughs>
4: thriving down. I care I care so much about the vulnerable that <laughs> I just only leave the house to take my dogs out
2: <laughs> stay the fuck home yeah
4: but yeah um uh,
2: yeah I mean, I think another thing with this is is it's something I started thinking about near the end of last week is that when you first start hearing the news, there's this moment of paralysis while you're just watching the news ticker, log level, to use Venkatesh Rao's you know, a term, where you kind of can't step away from just the news as it's happening. But after a week and a half or two weeks of that, you know, and there's a huge dopamine rush with that, and like it feels so exciting. It's like a massive snow day, and like all all bets are off, and like it's very exciting. And of course, your mind just goes to like finally the utopia can come. But as we've learned from so many other revolutionary moments, um, whether it was you know the Arab Spring or whether it was Occupy or whether it was you know any any number of revolutions, Black Lives Matter. Um, you then you see that as that starts to wear off, there's a big depression that comes in because you think that there's this cataclysmic thing that's happening. Everyone, everything is stopping. Normal things are stopping. The streets are jammed. The ports are jammed, whatever. But then what you hope to come true doesn't. And that can actually lead to everybody falling back even further. And I I am like thinking a lot about this, this dopamine rush as it, as it tapers down and like how we can now fill this void that we're starting to feel. And, you know, void plus isolation plus state of exception rules where you're actually Actually quarantined, And I mean, I know there's a lot of talk about the Zizek article and the Agamben article and like Agamben doesn't come off being, you know, so smart in his framing of this in late February of saying like, no, go out in the streets and don't stay home. But, you know, it was a different moment when he said that. But there is some truth to I- Anyway, it's a complicated moment and, and, and how, like, it, it, with a, having a lot of experience of how to organize in these moments or how to think through these moments, I mean, what are, what's going through your head right now about how to respond?
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a funny thing, right? We have this situation where it's the opposite of the states of exception that we're kind of used to, at least the ones that we've personally experienced. Yeah. Like, in a hurricane, you go outside, you come together with people. I mean, in the aftermath, you, go, yeah. you come together yeah. with people, you have hurricane parties, you have all these types of things. In Occupy, literally, Occupy was nothing but this aggregation point, you know, dispersed around, the, these aggregation points dispersed around the world where people were coming together like, this is the opposite of that. We're all in our homes. We were, if, if we don't want to get other people sick, you know, we have to stay away from each other. You know, it's, it could sound very dysto- dystopian, right? Like, I don't know. I mean, the thing that we always try to do in these these moments, there are emergencies, they're crises, whatever, but there are also opportunities, they are openings where what was not permissible before is suddenly expanding, you know, what is possible to say and to think and to do, start to open up this overton window thing, you know. And what we always tried to do in those situations was to try to hold that opening open and push on its limits as much as we possibly could to take it as far as the situation. So we what we've always tried to do, I think, in general, is just like hold these spaces open for thinking the new. I feel like that's what you guys actually do so well too, you know, like with new models. So to me it's like, it seems like we have this moment where it's like our move in some way, like, I mean, or it needs to be, I don't know what that means, right? But like, what, what do What do we all people, just regular ass people, whoever we are, what do we do, yeah. you know, in the long game of this? Because right. we're not just talking about death because we are talking about that, right? But we're also talking about the long game of the second and third order effects of the, you know, something worse than the great depression. Most people, a lot of people I know have already lost their job, you know. Yeah. What does the future look like and what do we just say we're going to go back? Are we going to be really happy to see everybody again and to go back to our concerts and our like whatever because we miss them so much, our gyms, our work and our paychecks? Or is, is this a historical turning point where we actually take an initiative? And I don't, don't know what that means, but I feel like in those situations that you were talking about, Carly, where, you know, you have these these big uprisings, and then the decline where it feels the the big change you hope for didn't happen or maybe actually things got way worse. You had worse regimes that came into power or you went back to the same normal order of things. We we never have the ability to go beyond. We think that that's such a big question historically for us in our lifetimes. You know, what, it, yeah. what would it mean to actually be able to go beyond materially and not have to go back to the same systems, you know?
4: I just don't think it's possible. I mean, the system can't go back because there's no way to save the economy without failing everything out, and then we, it's no longer the same system. I mean, it's as simple right. as that. So I think we're already, there's going to be a paradigm shift. It's just sort of a matter of how many knock-on paradigm shifts come out of that. And yeah, I think it's going to be really hard for people to take this revolutionary spirit when the government has that same revolutionary spirit right, now. <laughs> right. I
0: mean, And it's right. sort
4: of like, how are we going to out-shock doctrine the shock doctrines you know <laughs> right. at the
0: least though it's gonna have there's gonna have to be a recalibration of value right i think it's gonna be a bad hit for any rentierism including like literal rent housing prices will have to be recalibrated to hopefully what Socialized. they should be and yeah. kept at that level i mean it's also a really good Well, how dan saying no it's not gonna happen
4: yeah, we're no i mean realistically we're gonna There'll be a period of deflation, which is what's happening now. All the asset prices are, are crashing because everyone wants to have dollars. And then, as the government is literally announced, they're going to print unlimited money to prop up every market today. Mm. And <laughs> soon, there's going to be helicopter money in the, in, you know, UBI. That just leads directly to inflation and potentially hyperinflation. So the asset, the prices of housing and stuff. Okay, of course, the market for it is going to be crushed but the prices of actual goods are going to go up. You think so? Yeah, I think it's an inevitability. One of the things that the government's buying are mortgage backed bonds like they're going to completely prop up the housing market and like I said just the dollar amount that everything costs is going to go up a lot. Right. And I don't and that combined with 30% unemployment, which is what they're predicting, which is worse than yeah. the Great Depression. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, that's stagflation at best, if not hyperinflation. The economy is not going to grow, but inflation is going to grow, which is sort of the worst of both worlds. <laughs> w- what happens after that hyperinflation? Yeah, it's either revolution or war or a combination of those things, but that's yeah. the 20th century playbook. And whether or not that happens directly, like history rhymes, doesn't repeat, we'll see. But that seems like that's the framework I'm uh, operating under right now.
3: There are so many you know political analysts who are trying to say, "Oh, here's the good vision of what I hope and think can come from this. more national unity, less uh, individualism. none of that seems yeah. like it's on the table. Yeah. it just seems yeah. like civil war.
2: how do you see that playing out materially, like if there were to be a civil war, like what do you think the like the axis of power would like where, where would that fissure line be? People not paying their rents, landlords trying to evict them, people living in streets like what is sort of the dark prediction narrative of that
4: personally, I think It's not going to be a civil war with two distinct sides Uh with different types of uniforms on, that's for sure. It's just going to be much more like the breakdown of law and order where the state no longer has a monopoly on violence. You know, more or less like a patchwork situation where there's just everyone for themselves or, you know, small groups for themselves. And then eventually in that situation, power coalesces and there'll be new forces with, you know, that kind of emerge out of it. I mean, seeing all the like, libs that I've seen posting about trying to get guns and in general, <laughs> there seems to be a real concern in America that we're going to see like civil breakdown. And, you know, of course, I'm we're in, a, we're in Berlin. We're sort of isolated from that. It's just completely, you know, internet mediated ob- mediated observation. I'm sure Stephanie has probably seen that in person, maybe, I don't know. Um, but yeah. yeah, that's just sort of what my read is right now, my duper yeah. read anyways.
3: I mean I don't think it's doomer I think it's just pragmatic and it doesn't it doesn't have to be a matter of wishing for it or fantasizing it it is just a pragmatic very likely very possible outcome of the the social fragmentation that's going on in America I mean it's a disaster here.
2: Can you give us some specific anecdotes from? Can you bring us to Miami Beach? Can you just like put us, we're, we're at like Muscle Beach in Miami Beach. What's going on?
3: Well, it's, you can't be there. It's closed, but people oh, are sneaking right. in under <laughs> the true. police tape right. together. So I'm in North Beach in Miami Beach, a um, little bit more laid back, working class. It's not South Beach. Um, it's more Argentinian, Orthodox, Jewish, Cuban, kind of working class. And then there's some condos around us. There's also some waterfront mansions. You know, I think a house like Lil Wayne bought recently is like, a three-minute drive from us, so we're this last little holdout in Miami Beach. They've had the state of emergency orders, just like the rest of Miami-Dade County. Everything's closed. It's it's very weird. Yeah, restaurants, pools, parks, gyms, anything non-essential has been closed um, for a while. Uh, the grocery stores are open. They close early now, so they can restock. They open early for people over sixty-five, I think. Oh, um, right now, there's they've closed the beaches, so the whole Miami Beach is closed. Which is pretty crazy, actually. They've they've taped it and fenced it off. Oh my god! Multiple layers of fencing and there's police patrolling it. All of South Beach is is closed. Lomas Park, which is the the workout spot down there, it's it's closed. The whole park is closed. Every every beach access point is closed. Uh, and tonight by midnight, they're actually finally closing all the motels, which is really oh. insane. Um, they're saying everyone has to leave unless you're like a first responder or like a uh, a type of vulnerable person who has to stay there. So what's going on is you have a double war by the city, both on coronavirus, but also on spring break. (laughs) Yeah, so like, it's like, I mean, I don't know how many, I I should look this up No, you know, tons and tons of people, young people flock to Miami Beach, specifically at this time of year, like this is the height of spring break. And it's just like shoulder to shoulder on the beach, crowds everywhere on the street. And they've been trying to shut it down because like the residents in the condos don't like it. And now they're using the emergency powers of coronavirus to also push out these spring breakers. So part of closing the beach was also that. Because it's also crazy. The beach was the only place you could go and be far away from people. We would yeah, go, right, you know, right. beyond yeah. the beach every morning. It was amazing. And now you're shut into these small sidewalk areas. I don't know if you guys saw these like viral videos of these spring breakers down here. But oh, they were yeah, like,
4: yeah, oh I my God.
3: It. They are like, if I get Corona, I get Corona. It's gonna, it can't stop my spring break. I've been waiting two months for the spring break. Here. Two you know, months. Kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah. What about the homeless? A lot of places, the only people you see on the street are homeless people now, mm. in a lot of areas. But you also see a lot of people not giving a fuck down here. Mm. like tons of old ass people just out there just going just not no one's doing the like walk six feet away from you on the street thing no one like throughout all this it's all these like old rich people are just coming in oh my like, god if i go out i go out this way i guess you know yeah but-
4: it is it is funny that it seems like gen z's and boomers are the ones that aren't taking this seriously whereas millennials are just terrified for their boomer parents and yes. in general and and I her, mean, but you know, millennials are also like
2: all now adults. So like that's well, what adults exa- do. Exactly. Adults yeah. are, like yeah. read yeah. the news, make an educated choice and then act.
3: Uh, yeah. I mean, I, now they're talking about should they infect the uh, first responders so they become immune. Oh, you know, really? Things like that. Wow. It's, a, it's an right. idea that some politicians right. floated today. Yeah. Right. And there's like drive-through confession at churches. It's
2: Oh my god! Crazy. Really, drive through confession.
4: Yeah, w- one you of my can, favorite like, things that happened was the Pope saying that uh, if you can't go to confession, you should just take it directly to God. So <laughs> even even Catholics have just gone Lutheran. It's, right. it's kind of incredible. That's cool. <laughs> Very flexible. Overton window just yeah. <laughs> smashed.
2: <laughs> Anything you want to say to the Discord too? Because you're on the Discord. You're now live on the
3: Discord. <laughs> no, I mean, listen, guys. I mean, to me, I, I don't have any answers, and like, I think saying that we have the answers would be so disinterested. Ingenuous, but right. yep, uh, totally. I, I think that the thing that makes sense to me is to like right now take this moment really seriously as a historical moment. I think we should take it and talk to each other, all kinds of people that we normally talk to, that we don't normally talk to, and really start to think how can we imagine other ways of dealing with all these things that make up our life, like yeah. the food, the water, the, the electricity, you know, the health. You
2: also have a channel called Backloop TV. Do you want to plug that as a channel?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote this book called Anthropocene Backloop that will be out in a couple of weeks. And with it, if there's this project called Backloop TV. You can follow the Instagram. Uh, there's a website, too. It's called Backloop.tv. The idea is just to put up some videos and like interviews with people um, of things happening in the Anthropocene, experiments in particular that people are trying for other ways of living and other kinds of subjectivities that are possible right now. Um, cool. Well, I hope everyone's um, doing good.
2: Yeah, I like your idea of just keep talking to people, and like it is a historical moment. We should be processing it together.
3: Yeah, it's really nice to talk to you guys. Thank
2: you so much for calling in
0: and Thank you. Totally.
2: sharing with us some Thanks, uh, some visions of how it's going in in Miami. Cool. Good.
0: Cool. See you. <laughs> Bye, guys.
2: Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye.
5: I, I have different intentions. I'm growing in mullet, but I guess I'm gonna have to <laughs> do it myself.
2: You're growing it what? He's growing a mullet. I'm growing a oh, you're mullet. growing a mullet. A mullet. You, you do have to grow it yourself. Oh, you there, mean cut well, it yourself?
5: The sides, yeah. shaping the sides, is what I was going to go to a hairdresser, but that seems not pressing at the moment.
2: I think we're gonna. <laughs> I trend report. We're gonna see a wave of DIY haircuts. In the in the coming coming weeks, I just hope no
0: one in the hype house gets COVID nineteen. Julian, what's
2: the hype house?
0: Oh God, everyone's name is like Chancellor or (laughs) Chancellor Trice, things like that. Chase Trice. I don't know. I gotta look up their names. They're all like they just dance, and they all are are very good-looking young children. A lot of finger banging going on in there.
2: Finger banging, what's finger
0: banging? You know, they like, a lot of people getting fingered. <laughs> in, the yeah. in the hype house. Because so
2: they're all like, like.
0: They're all young. <laughs> they're all finger age, fingering age.
2: Fingering age, okay. Ah. Age of COVID, no fingering, no hands.
0: <laughs> no fingering in the age of COVID? <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't
4: touch, touch your, your face, face after, it's Yeah, fine. just don't
0: touch your face. Yeah,
2: don't touch your face. Anyway, we just introduced you. This is Sean yep. Monaghan, you're calling in from LA. Do you want to just give the like, who I am, where I am, blah, yes, blah, blah? Yes, so
5: I'm Sean Monaghan, I'm based in LA. I am a trend forecaster and a consultant and a writer. Formerly, I was one of the founders of k We were best known for pointing Normcore. Now I work independently. When I relocated from New York to Los Angeles.
2: But like the rest of the world right now, or the rest of the U.S. and, and Europe, you're under quarantine. So you want to give us like... I'll give you guys
5: both my own personal experience okay. of it. And then also the, the tidbits that are leaking in to me. Um, I had the sense that this was going to get bad. I think, earlier than a lot of people. Being a trend
2: forecaster.
5: (laughs) Well, and and also, I had been commissioned to write a catalog essay for a show in Shanghai that was supposed to be opening at the end of April, and that got canceled pretty early, or late January, early February. That had already been canceled despite the fact that the show was going to be happening in late April or early May. So I was already a bit, like, suspicious, when everyone was like, it's not a big deal. And I was like, well... Shanghai's not even in in Wuhan, and they're already planning that, like, international guests are not going to want to travel to China in late April.
2: Yeah. So what did your prepping look like? Beginning of March, you're like, I have a feeling this is going to get worse before it's going to get better.
5: It wasn't even I have a feeling. It was like, this is getting worse. By late February, Italy already was doing very badly. But also, like, the West Coast seems like it was kind of the beginning of this. You know, the highest concentration was in Seattle, and... We're here in California, and part of that is obviously because there's just a lot more direct trade links and direct flights between Asia and North America, especially on the West Coast. But yeah, I mean, it's also been unseasonably cold and rainy in Los Angeles. Dan. I am like a sharing economy economy scumbag, so I was looking at like Instacart and like Amazon like Fresh Delivery, and you could not get a appointment on either of those apps anymore. So I was like, fuck it, I'm going to have to go out in the rain and I don't drive. So I had like an Ikea bag as an umbrella. <laughs> and, like, the oh city is like flooding and everyone is in masks all of a sudden. And like there's no grocery carts and there's no soup and there's no pasta. I didn't um, even think about that. There's no that. toilet paper. Like
0: but, LA being a city where most people need to drive. And then mm-hmm. a lot of people kind of move there who don't really drive and people figure out a way to do it, but it's all so dependent on Postmates, Uber, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Told, this is, this is my reckoning down, with the like, sharing
5: economy. My lifestyle has been entirely enabled by the sharing economy, which is not something I'm totally proud of, but I like, I feel like all this stuff is just going to explode during this.
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. I usually
5: like I've been kind of more quarantined than other friends because – I Uber for most places I need to go that I can't walk to, which is most places. Like, how many people get in an Uber every day? Like, 50? 60? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. are they light down the car? It's and an average of 35 it's, it's rides even... per
2: shift. I just heard this. It's an average of 35 rides per shift.
5: Exactly. Okay, so I'm I'm a little bit up, but yeah. To me, like... Even now, like Lyft is kind of advertising themselves as like, you can take a Lyft to a testing facility if you're feeling unwell. And I'm like, that makes me want to get in a car even less. Like if people are using these for like in place of an ambulance because they don't want to pay $3,000, which is normal.
2: Okay, so I want to hear, like, kind of a speed round of how things, how you see things change in the past two weeks. Like, how's Erewhon doing? Like, are all those natural products? (laughs) I
5: have have not gone to Erewhon, but I have friends who live nearby and have been walking to it. Yeah. And they said it's pretty fully stocked, which to me doesn't surprise me because if you're buying, like, Shelf stable dry goods, would you go to Erawan? Well, exactly. Like, That's
2: my question. <laughs> it's like so much of that, like Erwan, so much of that stuff is just gonna have to be thrown away.
5: Well, people are still shopping and it's it's not clear what the end date is on this. Yeah, but I like I think I spent six hundred dollars on food.
2: Right.
5: I never spent that much on groceries. Even now I st- I feel like I still have friends who are slowly trying to like get their brains around it because it seems to me that at the same time that the United States has these infrastructure issues i.e. like we don't have like the capacity to you know make more masks and hand sanitizer and like all of these like supply chain issues there's also a mindset issue they just don't have
2: a balenciaga factory in the u.s that's the problem
5: yeah (laughs) we need an on-brand thing they could do Anheuser-Busch is apparently um, okay. making hand sanitizer, which makes sense. They've done this in the past. They did it during, I believe, Hurricane Harvey where they turned their uh, factories into like water canning factories. So that makes sense. Right. Yes. right,
2: that makes sense. And so
5: now they're doing hand sanitizer because hand sanitizer is just alcohol. So a lot of different distilleries are making like weird artisanal hand sanitizer and it's like the only hand sanitizer <laughs> around <laughs> from like yeah.
0: microbreweries and stuff. No, we have actually a really nice um, o- uh, Oud... Yeah, we made- oud calamus. Uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, we had samples hand, like con and oud samples and so we added those to our batch of homemade Santana Yeah, sanitizer. It smells amazing. It's really um, nice. It burns off fast, so, but it smells amazing.
5: It, in my mind, the biggest issue is really the mindset. Like, It's hard for people to accept that in the best case scenario that we're doing all this so it's not a big deal is also, I think, going to be hard for people to accept.
2: I mean, this this is a stupid comment in a sense, but also thank God for Italy because at least it's just one test case where you're like, if you don't social distance, this is what it looks like. It's like, if you do it, it, it's like, why? If you don't, it's a really big problem, so.
5: I saw a Twitter thread where they were comparing it to Jaws and the mayor in Jaws who doesn't want to close the beach because it's, like, essential <laughs> okay. to the town's economy. And it's just, like, hoping that the, sh- the giant shark thing will blow over, and it is, like... One of these things where you're fucked either way because if you close the beach, then like the town suffers economically and everyone's mad at you. But then when you don't close the beach, the shark starts eating all the town's people. Yeah. Well,
2: FYI, we just spoke with Stephanie Wakefield, who lives in Miami Beach, and she said that Miami has closed the public beach. That South Beach That's, is closed. Thank
5: God. <laughs> and it's police;
2: like you cannot go on there. So
3: yeah, I think
4: one of the one of the freakiest things about all this is just the the. Sense of time and scale, everything is lagging. We only have these sort of like two week ago backward projections that's guiding everything, and it's just a sort of like also, how long have we been in isolation now? Kind of hard to say it's been unclear, but it's still early. and I just yeah. think like in general, and I'll be like looking back at the timeline and I was like, that was three days ago or that was three weeks ago.
5: Yeah, also just the media has been dropping the ball. like I've been watching a lot of CNN. Um, and they're definitely trying to make this a Trump story, which is not to say that he's done a good job of handling this. Yeah, I
4: also think that just like reflexively going towards this racism criticism, it's just sort of like when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And, yeah, exactly. And, and I think it's really intentional because they're just playing interference for the CCP who has absolutely been exploiting the whole racist angle. And it just like doesn't cleanly apply to the situation when it's an ethnostate that imprisons minorities. And, you know, I, I, well, I just it's, think. It's, uh, the, I mean, the biggest yeah.
5: thing for me was the mask issue, which, which the New York Times admitted that they were lying about in their own, like, very, like, arch mea culpa, New York Timesy way, where you.
2: Wait, you mean mask issue, like, meaning hey, don't buy masks, mask, they don't help. And then yes. being like, yeah. the medical staff actually needs these masks so don't buy masks. Yes, okay, that one. Yeah. exactly.
5: Well, like re- wrapping a scarf around your face does reduce <laughs> transmission. Like, it's we're talking about different levels of protection here. Right. But it's kind of like saying like, oh, a light jacket doesn't help you stay warm in the cold. Well, Seatbelts don't help. Yeah, it, it, it was nonsense when it started. And the, the real issue is just that like, China and Taiwan, which I think were both the United States' biggest sources of uh, medical masks, both stopped exporting them quite a while ago. Mm. So the issue is that there's no domestic producers really in the United States.
0: Not even Etsy? Not I actually et-
5: did get a mask Etsy from Etsy. Just- do you, do you <laughs> guys want to see it?
2: <laughs> Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah.
5: And I, in my mind, actually, the masks help just in the sense that like, It freaks people out, so they stay away from you, which in and of itself is kind of like a good thing during this crisis. (laughs) No, I've actually gotten yelled at about wearing masks and covering my face already by people in the street who are like they like, it doesn't well, there's help. Actually,
2: there's a really interesting, like, so Sam Chris wrote this piece. We posted it as the header on the aggregator. But um, he wrote this piece um, on sort of the erotics of the coronavirus. And his thesis is more or less that genitalia has been de-eroticized because it's so, it's like everywhere. Yeah. But that faces are increasingly eroticized. The face is, mm-hmm. like, where the transmission actually happens. The face is now the thing that's veiled. Of course, there's all the, like, xenophobia. But also, like desire around women who cover their faces but
5: this That's piece probably yeah. definitely true I had been working on a trend report that I'm just like there's such a high degree of uncertainty it may still hold true in a couple of months or it may not at all the one thing that markets and trend forecasters don't like is uncertainty and we've gotten a spoonful of it but there's a section in it on masks but I was you know approaching it from the perspective of like the Hong Kong protests mm, and how right. masks had been outlawed in Hong Kong uh yeah i mean masks have been kind of trendy and that's been coming out of asian cultural mix for quite a while the bape luxury masks
3: right. have been trendy
5: with like hype for quite a bit um and also the and air pollution response to them being like kind of like a weird piece of urban tactical wear or for yeah. protests or for health like all these different versions of self-protection that hasn't quite fully come to the west but now I don't think the masks are going away after this.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it also signals this awareness of the human organism. It shows a kind of, like, I'm reading the news, I'm plugged into how transmission works, how the environment has become hostile, and it shows that you're living in the present. Yeah,
5: and I mean, like, even in California, they've been becoming more commonplace because of the wildfires. Oh, right. Good point. I I heard that
4: Facebook donated their... Their stockpile of seven hundred and fifty thousand masks, which is just yeah. hilarious <laughs> that they had that in the first place. But well, they're, they're in San Francisco. I, I get it.
5: They were also the one use surgical masks. Someone like crunched the mask on like yeah. every employee they have in San Francisco use two a day like at the two week supply. So it sounds crazy, but the surgical masks
4: what are they gonna do in fire season? Because that's <laughs> yeah, coming. Too. It's been
5: so wet this year. So hopefully Fire season in California will be chill. So, what this makes me think about is the homeless population in Southern California. Yeah. Part of the reason why there's like a large homeless population is because the weather is fairly good. I'm just like, these people obviously, many of them are already immunosuppressed. Now they've been outside in like unseasonably cold weather where it's been like hitting 40 sometimes at night and it's been raining for like over a week straight. Um, all this is obviously good, I think, ecologically for California but at the same time you have like these unhoused populations. It is still unclear how to temporarily house them during the crisis. They're probably at low risk for having coronavirus in some senses, like it seems like the people who have been transmitting it tend to be like wealthier people who travel really frequently. <laughs> <laughs> like that's why we have all these like coronavirus hotspots in the U.S. in the skiing communities in Colorado, like Vail and come Aspen. back from Northern Italy. Yeah, exa- northern Italy, exactly. I mean, I think that that is exactly how it started in those Colorado communities. Was at the same time, like, the homeless population also has a lot of interaction with different philanthropic groups that are, like, giving them resources and food. And
2: What's your prediction of the trend prediction field?
5: Um, I think the fact that I'm not, like, a data-focused trend forecaster is probably good for me right now yeah like there's there's just no data to look at really like everything is changing every day this is a classic case of the definition of uncertainty versus risk we don't know that much about the virus we don't know that much about uh how it will change people's behaviors it's unclear right now and and again like for me personally like i'm lucky to still have client relationships that are ongoing you know i haven't been fired i still have work Uh, but it's also probably going to depend on like how much we bail out corporations in terms of like if they're hiring me like if they still exist.
0: I can imagine a lot of companies are kind of like shopping for ideas of like what the post-COVID marketing voice narrative wave is going to be. It is. I
5: mean, in my mind, I I actually think, I feel like some people are like jumping on the bandwagon too fast. You know, like this is obviously going to change things, but to what extent remains unclear. The one thing I think will certainly happen is that the argument for, Medicare for all is much stronger after this, but I also don't know that like the behaviors we're seeing in people right now are going to transition into a post COVID world. I
4: mean, I think one thing that you're discounting about like people are going to be really germaphobic for a long time. I think there's going to be over a year or two. People are going to be, avoiding contact with people and very, very aware of touching their face and touching surfaces. And like a lot of OCDs are going to blossom.
5: I think, <laughs> you know? Yeah. my I am such a dirty person. Usually I'm shocked by how clean my apartment is right now. I stopped right. biting but my it, nails. <laughs> yeah, but it's know. also just, a, I need something to like keep myself busy inside. I think yes and no. I mean, I, I also think people are going to be germophobic, but not necessarily agoraphobic, you know? Um, yeah, we're all on Zoom and talking now, but we're going to run out of things to talk about if this goes on for four months. Like, there's no, like, weird hookups to chat about. Like, the lack of having an IRL social life means that we can kind of only talk about media. Like, we can talk about the news. We can talk about what we're watching. We can, like, share tips on, like, good content. But there's no, like, real-world referent, which is what powers so much of... I think most people's social lives who aren't like infovores.
0: I mean, speaking of info wars, Infovores.
5: <laughs> info-vores. <laughs> yeah. infovores,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, what? Uh, what's the prepper temp, the prepper temperature there? Do you know anyone who's like anticipating full
5: social breakdown? Like, you know anyone who bought a gun? Like, uh, I almost bought a gun. I was thinking about it. I grew up around guns. I grew up in a rural area. I'm not, not terrified of guns. Like, the aesthetics of them and why they're fun. Personally, I don't have one because I drink too much to have a gun safely in my possession, to be honest. (laughs) Out of your
0: social network, are there people who believe the full-on, the purge is coming? Is that a popular viewpoint?
5: I think there's also something about being gay where this is less traumatizing. Like, people don't talk about it that much because they think HIV and AIDS are over, but I think it's still in the U.S. like, one in five gay men is HIV positive. So the idea of like having a, lot, having a lot of your social and sexual life be uh, formatted around like testing and prophylactics and certain kinds of like antiviral care, and that just being something you think about all the time is not new to me. Um, but now it's like all the straight people have to think about it, too, even though it's not a sexually transmitted virus. Similarly, I think we're going to see a lot of like different prophylactic strategies. A lot, a lot more like what's your COVID status? Conversations pre-party, you know, pre-workplace entry, things like that.
4: I think on the viral front, like honestly, I'm kind of optimistic. Like, if there's ever been a time in history where the technology and the will to kind of vaccine is there, you know, it's there. I think there is really the cap- the cap- the capacity to do it, and like quicker than ever before. Just like that's why I think the economic effects are probably going to end up killing more people and like definitely are much more, much more the important thing as far as I'm concerned right now. Uh, Like the idea people are dying is a very, I think, simplistic rubric because people are dying for lots of other causes and not to be like, oh, but we're not worried about this or some kind of relativistic thing. It's just like, let's think about the knockout effects.
5: I think already like they're starting to show like, okay, like how we count the deaths Is going to affect how deadly we think this was and already even like italy and germany are counting the deaths differently that's right yeah that's very clear italy like is counting comorbidity deaths i.e like if an older woman already had influenza pneumonia earlier this year and then got covid on top of that and died they would count it whereas germany might not count it they
2: don't count it and then there's
5: there's other issues too i.e like If people can't get food or access to supplies because the economy is all fucked up and then they die because of that, like, is that a coronavirus death?
4: It is. I mean, I think that's what we... No, I know. I mean, I
5: I agree with you, but but right right now, like, it it feels like the space race in some ways, like, where you have China and the United States explicitly competing to come up with the vaccine first, but they... It's not only about stopping it. They also want the prestige because there's no, they know there's like geopolitical dividends to being the ones that solve the crisis.
4: Of course. I like, I like the idea that Israel is also developing it and like <laughs> really going to undermine any BDS attempts, like really, uh, yeah, so you're like, Oh, you <laughs> lord, lord it over everybody.
2: Um, any personal indoor wellness tips or quarantine wellness tips that you find are effective
5: have a drink every day. Wait, <laughs> so Everyone what, I know, we've, we've all, we've all instituted Corona cocktail hour. Yeah.
2: What, when does that begin for you? I think it's gotten earlier, four. And earlier for us.
5: Four.
3: Yeah,
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It used to be. Four p.m. is like nighttime cocktail.
5: Least, yeah. It yeah. really, to be honest, it does take the edge off. And it, I, I think what's made it easiest for me is just um, trying to do certain things to keep some kind of schedule for myself, which means like, I mean I'm not showered now because I woke up a little late today, but but getting up and getting showered and dressed every day. And and these some of these are because I work remote regardless. So getting up and getting showered in the morning makes it much easier to like be productive and start your day. Um having two separate work areas, i.e. like not working in your bed, makes it much easier to like have like this is my like personal headspace, this is my work headspace division, and then kind of doing different kinds of activities to mark different tempo levels to your day so like in the morning you get showered and you like get dressed and you make your coffee like you would if you were going to like start your normal day and then in the evening you have like a cocktail and you put on then turn on the tv and you know you talk to your friends and that I think makes it easier to like not get consumed by being indoors too much
2: Right. I mean, that's just, like, so general because, so these things laundry, are things i
5: beta tested by being a remote worker. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> you like, know, like, how to make myself not go crazy working from home all the time.
2: Totally. Um, well, good. Do you have any more questions uh, for Sean? Any, like, speed round type questions? Dan?
4: No, I think that was pretty Dan's good. Dan's watching personally. the markets, meanwhile. <laughs> oh, I'm, you, I'm, no, I'm not. I'm looking at the Discord. I'm reading all the things. I also have a couple windows with, <laughs> with a few, a few say- charts and my console open, yes. But i <laughs> get them actively.
0: Sean, do you know, do you know uh, is there any z- zany uh, celebrity escapes going on? Do you have any? <laughs>
5: um, oh, yeah. I don't know. I've been trying to avoid the like onslaught of like, needy celebrity content you know it's it's funny that they like complain about like people paying too much attention to them and now they're all like live streaming that they don't have paparazzi chasing them around (laughs) (laughs) they're like no, no one's looking at me. I'm in my house. I'm going to go on oh my Instagram Live.
2: You know, what I think it's so funny is like there's this uh, like the format of the celebrity who kind of like shows up looking like shit and they're streaming to more than 10,000 people live. And they're yeah. like talking about their like I never leave my house without this favorite product. You're literally
5: just like they're trying to get those influencer endorsements in before the economy
2: crashes. Well, I mean on two levels. Like obviously that, but also just the idea that like you never leave your house without this lip gloss, but you're currently streaming to like ten thousand people. So what even is that body that goes outside? Like
5: it is like I think with some of them though, you're like, where are they? Like who like who's who's, like to who and also within the art world, you're like who's fleeing to whose billionaire friends yeah, compound yeah. where you know like, like that's yeah. what I i'm mean, always is there thinking a safe
0: about. vacation i know madagascar got a case but like you yeah. know like those sun chasers what about those kids it's like winter in bali spring to Loom, Whoa. summer ibiza fall the burn like what are they what are <laughs> they doing well, right now? yeah i mean
5: i i, I read, read a really their good mom article. and dad exactly. it's already pretty clear that the the patient zero for, like, the Mexican epidemic is going to be, like, a rich fresa who, like, went skiing in Vail.
0: Yeah. Um, um, as a cultural producer, um, what clients do you think are still going to be running running game? What, where should I pivot? Uh, uh, uh,
5: uh, well, I mean, streaming is obviously booming. <laughs>
0: uh, Tom Tom K said it also has gone down 10 to 20 Oh, yeah, so Tom
2: just put that in. He said... My friend works at a large indie label, and they just did an audit of their streaming data over the last two weeks of COVID. And perhaps contrary to in, uh, intuitions about yeah. everyone being at home plugged in, it looks like streaming is down 10 to 20% across the board. Across the board. But,
4: yeah. but, I, th- but I think it's thing. just because everyone's watching, watching press conferences all the time. I don't think <laughs> streaming like, just exactly exactly is going them? down. There's just so many different streams of information now that I can imagine Spotify isn't like you're not doing, you're like looking at the screen now. You don't need background music as much. You're not like commuting. It's
5: it's really hard to make any.
2: I feel like productivity levels have tanked, but I do think it's because we sort of like emotionally, psychologically need to do right now is to just read and discuss with our friends. And like that's sort of the project. How can you write a text on, you know, the art market at this moment? Like no one has a sense of what the
5: the sort of emotional. Who's going to make it through? And also, like the other thing about like, I could be like, oh, Netflix. But. We don't, I don't know what Netflix's balance sheet looks like. Totally. You know, yeah, like totally. it, and there's like simultaneously they have a captive audience, but also they can't produce anything.
2: Right. Oh, because yeah, production,
5: production is oh, shut yeah, down in Los good Angeles. Point.
2: Good. Like Germany.
5: Nothing is being filmed.
2: Good point. Yeah, I
0: just was talking to somebody about this, like, uh, you know, we were thinking, oh, maybe we could still shoot a music video, but like really low key skeleton crew, more than two people together in Germany is banned.
2: Yeah. Dan wasn't yeah. allowed to come to our house. Not that he would have necessarily, but he oh, was
0: like, I was going to you were thinking
2: about it. Yeah, Other
4: than my weird knee that I have problems. But technically with me, but it's
2: illegal for three people who aren't actually family members to be in an enclosed space together.
5: I wish the United States was going there because right now it's very voluntary. Mm. You know what I mean? I think you wake up every day and you turn on the press conference and look on Twitter to see like, okay, so what is what's mayor Garcetti saying today? What's Gavin Newsom saying today? What's Donald Trump saying today? Cause I mean, I'm in California. So for me, like the people I'm like looking at are like the mayor of the city. Um, cause he, even though he doesn't control all of LA County, he's still like more, more or less the mouthpiece for the LA County board of supervisors and um, you know, the, the governor of California and then the president, cause those are the three tiers of government that are like kind of coordinating together to try and resolve this. <clears throat>
0: I, I just hope with the daily press conferences with Trump that people start asking him just really general questions, you know, like, just like, when's the last time you cried? Like, do you, they, have been, they have been doing that. Do you, you that listen and to music?
5: It's been working to his advantage. He's been calling them nasty report. Well, they've been asking him questions about fear and then, I don't know, they've, they've been trying to do like some, like, gotcha questions. When was the last time you said sorry? I'm- Thank you. <laughs> He's not going to answer that, and then like he's going to get a bunch of retweets on Twitter about how the journalists are not doing their jobs. Yeah, so.
2: yeah, true. It's not going to happen. Have people have, been, people
5: have been trying to ladder up to it, but he's he's good at managing the press. We already know this. That's why he's president. Like he has a he has some weird sixth sense about how to like manage press narratives. That's his entire career is basically about you know fucking with the press.
2: Yeah. Yeah,
5: totally. Going back to being, I mean, and this, this comes from being a New Yorker because American media is so, like, siloed in New York City.
2: True, yeah. That
5: to be, a, to be a New York celebrity, like, you learn how to deal with, like, the Post and the gossip columnists and True. the New York Times and the, ma- and the mainstream media, you know. Or, I, I mean, sorry, not mainstream, the national media. He's like a Navy SEAL well. of
2: paparazzi or something. <laughs>
5: Well, you think, you think back to like, uh, the central park five and him taking out that ad, you know what I mean? Like he's known how to troll the press for a long fucking time and how to make himself the center of a story that he's not at all involved in.
2: Um, there's one last question here. Someone, uh, Noah writes, anyone else noticing harsh changes in targeted Instagram ads? Has that been your experience?
5: Well, so I don't get them because I uh, muted everyone on Instagram. <laughs>
2: that
5: works. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I, basically disabled the feed function on my Instagram. Which How
2: did you – you literally blocked everybody. So you have to see
5: I – mute, I muted everybody. So I can still look at everyone I follow's ah. stories and stuff. It just becomes more intentional. And I, I can't – there's no infinite scroll and I can't autoplay um, stories.
2: That's cool. Which
5: – Uh, It's it's a hack that I advise to everyone because when you have to actually intentionally consume Instagram content, you realize how fucking boring most of it is. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: definitely. (laughs) definitely
5: Um, So I yeah I have not gotten any weird ads because they can't serve them to me. Well, apparently there's been you're stealing money from Instagram then because they can't give you ads.
2: Right. I keep on getting p volve the one that's like kind of sexual <laughs> where you have this like ball between your crotch and you like, do you know what I'm talking about? I get that so much. Is that like
5: a... The what's the exercise? The vagina t- tightening exercise or pelvic floor exercise. You are not. Get, you are
2: not. You as a gay man are not getting kegel exercise ads. I do not believe that. I'm incredibly <laughs> impressed if Instagram could read that level of like. Of
5: like <laughs> all right. No, yeah.
0: I, I keep getting, getting ads.
5: I'm not getting kegel ads. But, I keep getting um, ads for
0: stock footage subscription sites, which kind of makes, makes sense, sense because that's the only wait you're gonna produce
5: content moving forward to be honest though like my ads are always fucked up because by virtue of working for corporate clients and doing like a lot of research on various products that i'm not interested in buying like it's always just really all over the place for me this is why like when if you ever get like if someone tries to sign you up for like a digital survey or something there'll be a question if you work in marketing and they'll just like cross you off
2: oh right so that's what you should um, do, because right? Because my
5: my experience of every, like all ad, online targeted advertising is just like all over the place, right? Because I am like googling and looking for things that for research purposes, and therefore, like, yeah, I make no sense as a meta
2: level user.
5: Yes, it, it, it's yeah, it just doesn't work for me.
2: Um, I don't know where Dan went to, but he just stepped away for a second um we kept you on for a bit so we should probably sign off
5: yeah Um, thanks for having me guys it was fun to chat
2: maybe do this again in other in other times or either (laughs) worse or better (laughs) or
5: or later when this is more terrifying yeah exactly um (laughs) we'll see but um, anyway, I appreciate you yeah, spending your morning
2: or late morning or whatever with us, and um, I hope, um, yeah, I, I hope your pantry is well stocked enough, and that you um, yeah, if I'm to make some coffee and scrambled
0: eggs. <laughs> all right, yes. all right. Well, bye guys.
2: Peace. out. Thanks. Bye. Goodbye. Okay, so Colleen from Texas.:
1: I'm Colin from Fort Worth.:
2: You've been with us for a long time. You're like one of our first you're like a, one oh of our gee. first like members, actually, which is awesome. You sent us these really Did great I? emails with like your 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 thought. Remember those because we're so cool. We also still owe you oh.
1: <laughs> Are we streaming right now?: We're
2: streaming right now, yeah, yeah.. Ah! I know, crazy.
1: I'm kind of nervous. I don't. Don't don't be.
2: We're gonna talk. Everyone's to
1: you. stealing my stuff now. Like everyone's like copping my vibe now that everyone's home and you know, <laughs> like being cozy.
2: Cozy core was your original state.
0: Caring, I'm really sorry that we still haven't sent these to you, but I got Uh-oh. some big face Saddam's for you. <laughs> we gotta send We're them in the mail. mail. Hopefully, we can still mail send them him. before they
1: reevaluate yeah. the. the I know. <laughs> Real. That's going to put my kid through college.
2: That's right. (laughs) But so you're like, okay, so we're just going around. We're asking a bunch of friends what their experience has been in X part of. Well, so far, it's just been the U.S. But um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about what your work situation is, how it's changed, what your daily life situation is, how it's changed.
1: Yeah, so I work at a grocery store part-time, and then I take care of my kid part-time. My schedule hasn't really changed. Like, I've been working some extra hours, but the mood of the store has definitely changed. Everyone's kind of grim. I have to make sure that, like, every cart is sanitized. I work in the service department, so it's, like, carts, cashiering, which are all customer-facing, interactive jobs. And uh, there's definitely, like, a, a class animosity that's starting to emerge. You describe and, uh, it for and the us? Other day... I- Well, we have to limit the amount of, we're limiting certain like core items, uh, toilet paper, cleaning products, hand sanitizers, definitely limited. They
0: still exist there. Wow. Yeah,
1: it still exists. And so there have been issues where somebody will see somebody carrying two packs and then start to freak out, like, why are they carrying two packs, you know?
2: Do you have to mediate?
1: Yeah, I have to mediate. And then, and then there have been issues where, um, Certain customers of, of like a very visually like higher economic, socioeconomic status think that it's still kind of like the same expectation as before the crisis. So they get kind of upset when everyone's like on edge. and
0: what, What's your uh, safety protocol there? Uh, like, gloves, place, gloves masks, masks,
1: lots of like hand sanitizer in between. Like, cash gets placed down, then we pick it up, then we sanitize, and we put it in the drawer. Um, there's like rotating teams of five people who sanitize in waves the whole store. Like,
2: Can you describe what is involved in sanitizing? Like what are the steps? What's the protocol oh, for
1: sanitizing? Part of me feels that it's like, um, like psychosomatic. I don't know, because it's white. It's these like Clorox wipes and anything that's tactile that people might touch. Shelves get wiped down. Uh, handles, any kind of like counter space.
0: Is it like a upscale store? It is.
1: Yeah. It is. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I think the, the range of of income in the neighborhoods around the store is like 150 to like 300 thousand.
0: Oh wow! So. I mean, in terms of like long term for the store, like, do you know anything about like logistics of continuing to operate or any disruption? Have you seen supply chains disrupted? Are there products you cannot restock? Like, you got any word from them up top?
1: I've been trying to get information about that, but I, I'm pretty low on the totem pole. So it's, for me, it's just like I've been trying to keep track on my own to see what, what isn't coming in. Uh, we do have like a lot of overseas imports, so I don't think that we'll be getting a lot of that Italian crackers or some <laughs> kind of fancy cheeses in a while.
0: But so far, it's like still been going. Like the warehouse still, still have it, yeah. and so
1: yeah, I don't know. Um, like as far as how far out, I don't know if it's like two weeks of like shipping routes that are that we still have like containers coming in, and then going to Houston and then driving up.
0: Uh, right. So it's like on a delay. Right, right. Because the containers have to come by ship, then put on trains or trucks, and yeah. right so once that cycle is at the point where it would broken, be starting yeah. over that's when shit's gonna yeah
1: right. so, so that's my thought about like all the toilet paper outages right is we have data that matches like how much toilet paper people buy on every particular day of the year Right. and, and just we get that exact amount that we need and the fact that people are maybe buying one extra package the way at
0: scale in, it fucks everything up is everything yeah. just ju- like just in time like yeah supply chain for everything is such a like can't
2: handle like unexpected oh. consumer behavior at all
0: uh, So but I mean you're in Texas and the land where everything's big and there's a lot of guns and big cars and stuff um and I a mean, lot of
1: stubborn freedom loving people
0: Right I mean do you have any like local uh I'm 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 doing the prepper to, Prepper temperature check. I I don't know if you're uh, reclusive to the point where you don't know what people are saying in in your neck of the woods. But um, what's your feeling on the anticipation of how this is going to go in the next couple of months?
1: I think a lot of people here think it's going to clear up pretty quickly.
0: And just go back to normal. Yeah.
1: Um, Like I have a stepdaughter who's 13 and all the parents think that school is going to open up in April. And I'm a little bit more doomy. <laughs> so it's like, nah, you're going to school in the fall, if, if even that, wow. you know?
2: Is there a separation of parents who are more doomy and those who are more like normies who are like, it's fine? Def-
1: it's definitely mostly normy. Mm.
4: And what just- I, I think that one thing that's going for, like, uh, clearly the red states are all, in general, more skeptical of all this. But of course, they're like more rural and suburban, so they probably will be hit less. And it's kind of a mix of the two. But the idea that things are going to be back to normal in April seems pretty yeah. fantastical. Although, you know, even Cuomo, I saw as, they're already outweighing whether or not to restart it in a couple of weeks just because of the economic effects. So, you know, maybe it will not go back to normal, but there won't be a quarantine much yeah. sooner than we expect just because they decide to let a lot of people die. I don't know.
0: <laughs> Whoa. What's your stepdaughter doing? We She's- have
1: a really detailed schedule. Like, every hour we have an activity, so it's like At nine we read books at ten, we go for a walk. At eleven, we have like playtime with the toddler. Twelve is lunch. It's so and then like creative projects.
2: That's super cool. That yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, my wife's an educator, so she was like really proactive about it. If it was me, I would just be moping around watching like Frozen Two on a loop (laughs) with my toddler. Like (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, we should probably we gotta eat. We gotta eat too. too, so. too so we should yeah, probably we just wanted yeah. a quick well, check please, in to, yeah. to see how things are going. But um, and definitely
0: keep us updated. Try to like get some get some data on the supply chain. Animals. Yeah, ask <laughs> Ed or Bob. I want this Bob. question though
2: about for for Ed and Bob. Like, I mean, supermarkets are they must be do I mean, even though you go there and it's like there's no toilet paper today. There was no vegetables at the grocery store I went to, and I was like upset about it. But Grocery stores are like doing well right now. Like they are gonna come out of this It's the
1: only space. social place. I mean right. my grocery store, you see it, it's like the only social space that people have. And it it's the the store is like that normally, but now it's like people come in and they see their friends that they haven't seen in like a week and they're like, Oh my god, what's this is so crazy. Yeah. Like
0: Yeah, yeah I didn't even think of that. Yeah. I still I'm convinced that there's gonna be like pop-up like malls in the grocery stores and yeah. everything else closed. Yeah, people are going to be walking around like with briefcases or something I've, or trench coats. Uh,
1: I've had some really bad allergies and I've been coughing a little bit and people look at me like, inevitably like the guy who's bitten by the zombie that hasn't told anyone yet. <laughs> and I've been wanting to make a screen print of a shirt that's like, this isn't a COVID cough. This is like... <laughs> Not
3: know, a it's COVID like, cough.
2: Yeah.
0: I'm, I'm going to have a shirt that just says silent carrier. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, please be safe. Thank you for the update. And yeah, let us know. Get some data because I'm interested What yeah. like Bob and Gary and yeah. Ed are all, you know, Agreed.
1: I'm trying to get charts, but sales charts. Get a promotion.
2: Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah, <laughs> get it. <laughs> All, All right. Well, take have, care. A, have a good soon. afternoon, Bye.
2: evening. <laughs> Ciao.
0: Okay. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I remember that kind of window in New York. I used to have a window yeah. like that. <laughs> That's the classic. It's a classic. Classic view too. I don't know if you yeah. can see it. <laughs> <Are> you, <laughs> it's a brick
2: wall. Where are you? Like Lower East Side? Or where are you? Um, Yeah, like East Village. It's Village. Okay. So for anyone who's just tuning in, we are now being joined by the writer Natasha Stagg. So here's Natasha. <laughs> um,
3: um, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm wondering how different it is from where you guys are because I feel like uh, most people seem to think of New York as – still in denial is that true like is that kind of what the the news is saying about us
0: <laughs> thank you for listening to this public episode of new models topsoil to hear the rest of our interview with natasha stagg an update from friend of new models kdm and more conversation, join us at patreon.com newmodels. You also gain access to the New Models Discord, which has become an essential community for big brains trapped in small apartments. Our theme song is NPC Valley by Alfred English, and our radio play intro was written, performed, and produced by me, Lil Internet. See you next episode.